we're in the middle of Jesus praying for the disciples. And uh, you know, this is really some of their, their last time together like this. And uh, you know, if you've been around Gateway for a while, you know, and if you're new, you might not, but we've been in the Gospel of John this year and kind of, you know, uh, towards, you know, 14 or 17 or in there, you know, there's uh, the, the big upper room uh, discourse. Uh, and um, we're, we're sort of towards the end of that. And this is a big, um, a big prayer, and, and we're in the middle of it, and the middle of it is kind of distinct because Jesus here is praying for his disciples, and uh, you know they're 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 praying with him, and I don't know like if if you will relate to this, but you're kind of in a group, and one person is praying out loud, and you're you're just agreeing, and and you're you're praying along with them, but uh, Jesus here is he's praying for them, and. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a curious thing to kind of look into this passage, you know, because this isn't just anybody praying, it's, it's Jesus, the Son of God, uh, speaking to the Father, and he's doing it for the benefit of the disciples. Uh, and, and so this is one of those passages where um, it, it's... <laughs> pretty deep. You know, there's, there's a lot there. And uh, so today we're going to kind of fly over it and, um, and really talk about what is on Jesus's heart for his disciples, knowing that everything's about to change and they're not going to be the same. Uh, they're not going to see him like they have been. And, um, and, uh, but I, I think what you find is that, uh, that, that we have some things in common with the disciples he's praying for. And a lot of the ways that he's praying for them, we can kind of look at those things and, and that they're great reminders of who God is and what his heart is for us. So we're gonna pray this morning and we're gonna dive into uh, kind of the middle part of John 17. Let's, let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. And this morning we ask that you would uh, just sort of open your word to us in our hearts, Lord, that, <clears throat> that God, we, you would help us just to, receive your words and you would give us the eyes to, to see them and the ears to hear them. God, that we would um, hear your voice today and that you would give us the wisdom uh, and the boldness to respond, uh, Lord, in truth. God, that the Spirit would just convict us uh, in this time, uh, that we would just more clearly see your, your character. And Father, that you would... Um, just embolden us uh, to be a bright light in the world uh, with the time that, that you give us uh, to, be, to be here and to be a light for you while we're here. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd open your word to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, John 17 and uh, the, the disciples, uh, everything's getting ready to change. And I don't know uh, if the phrase like, no turning back means anything to you. I think about sometimes just being at the point of no return. Uh, it makes me think about uh, sometimes how you learn something or you experience something and everything is different after that. Uh, like, <clears throat> like when my wife's parents told me what's, what's in gelatin and how gummies are made. Uh, it, it, it changed things for me. And, and I used to... <laughs> 
used to have a love for gummies. I still do. I still eat them. It's just not the same. <laughs> Recently, uh, my wife, uh, she read an article to me about how hot dogs are made. Uh, same experience. Uh, you know, like, uh, I'm still, no one's taking them from me. I'm still enjoying them. Uh, and, and I will until I die, uh, Lord willing. And, uh, but it's not the same. Uh, I learned things that I can't unlearn. I heard things that I can't unhear. And, uh, and you know, uh, I know something maybe a little more <laughs> concrete that comes to mind is, you know, years ago when we, we moved, Anna and I, we went to South Carolina and, you know, so many people were like, you know, you don't just do that. You don't just take a job in South Carolina and move there. Like, that's a crazy thing to do. And, uh, and we did. But it was, it was a process, you know, of, of uh, you know, just a lot of things that had come together, but it had gone really far, and, you know, we had signed stuff, and, and we had, uh, you know, we had made arrangements, and, um, you know, uh, and everybody kind of, it, it just didn't feel real. And I remember, you know, it finally got to the point where we were living in, like, this little rental, and we got this big moving truck, and, uh, you know, we put everything we had in this moving truck, and we only filled it up, like, this high because we didn't have that much stuff. Um, and, you know, we, we only had one, we shared one car, and we, we put it on this trailer, and we attached it, and, um, and, and we had to, the last couple of weeks we were here, we lived with my wife's parents, because we weren't in the rental anymore. It still didn't feel real to me. I, I still felt like, there's no way we're going to do it. You know, I think, I really thought we were going to chicken out, or I thought plans would fall through, or I just thought everything would change, and, and, and I, I kid you not, it was not until the day of when I climbed in the truck, and, and I'd never really driven a, a box truck before or a trailer, so, um, <laughs> so it was terrifying. And I remember, you know, my family, they have this big, uh, it's a big farm, and, and so there's like a half mile of just gravel road to get back to the house where the truck was. And I remember just getting out there and uh, being kind of nervous uh, because uh, they live in, in Pleasant Hill and just the, the roads are really narrow there. And I remember <laughs> we were in the truck the car was behind us, you know, we had said a lot of goodbyes, and I was down the road, and it hit me that I had no clue how to turn around. Uh, I mean, just physically, I, I didn't know where I, I could loop around at, and, and I, I didn't even know if it was, like, physically possible to loop around at that point, and it hit me, we're leaving, and we're on our way, and there's no turning back. And I think that's a little bit about what is going on in the upper room as Jesus prays, that, that things are developing, and they're going forward, and there's no going back. Judas has left. He's putting plans into motion that will not be undone, and things will never be the same. And, and I think Jesus is thinking about uh, that his time with the disciples isn't, there's not a lot left like, like this. And so he begins to pray for them. And, and there are, I, I think these words are so intricately deep. And, uh, you know, as we read through that today, just keep that in mind. You know, we can't, you know, do everything. I, I don't know everything. Um, but there are a few themes that certainly stick out. And there's some things that he prays for the disciples that have really blessed me and I relate to, and I'm sure you will too. First of all, that they're set apart from the world. There's no going back for the disciples. They know things about Jesus and they have believed in him. And the Father has 
seen that, and they're, they're not, you can't unknow that. Uh, you, you don't walk back from that, and they would not walk back from that. Nothing would ever be the same for them. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. To, to manifest just means to reveal that I've revealed your name. And a name was a lot more than a name today. Like if I tell you my name is Scott, which it is, uh, you would be like, I don't know, like, are you Scottish? You know, I mean, maybe if you even thought that much, to which I'd be like, no, I'm not. And so it's kind of random, isn't it? But in these times when you mentioned a name to somebody, you were talking about their character. You were talking about their story. You were talking about everything that 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 person was. And so when Jesus is revealing the Father, when he's revealing who he is, the disciples, I mean, and imagine over three years, the things that they have learned and that they have seen and the things that have sunk in. And what he's saying is is that they they know those things. Uh, And and so now they know everything that you have given me is from you, that Jesus wasn't making these things up and that uh, he wasn't concocting these things out of nowhere, but, but these were things from the Father. There was a divine uh, knowledge uh, to these things. And then he kind of sums up here. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and they have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Now, th- this is kind of what is, is working uh, for the disciples. The, the reason that Jesus is praying for them. Here's kind of his, his premise of who these people are and how he's seeing them. And, and I think this speaks really highly of them. Look, they, they have received these words. They've accepted them. Not, not resisting. They've received them. They've come to know in truth. There's certainty to the things that Jesus is saying. And this is really interesting because oftentimes, the Gospels really depict the disciples as not the smartest bunch. You know, they, they don't understand the parables. You know, they, they stay after, you know, can, can you explain to us? Their faith, it's seen shaky at best. They, they don't remember the, the things he's done. They, they don't learn to put these things into practice. And yet, Jesus sees something in them that they, they know something with certainty. That, that he's come from the Father and they have believed and it's very important that they have believed these things. It, it wasn't just head knowledge. It wasn't just theology, that there was a heart level, gut level belief and commitment to these things. And, you know, secondly, notice what it is that they've received and know and believe. You know, the first thing that sticks out is that they believe that uh, Jesus has come from the Father. He has no beginning, he has no end. Uh, he's not just a person. Even today, it's a very popular thing people say about Jesus. He was, he was just sort of this rabbi. He, he didn't like oppression, and, you know, he, he, he didn't like the system, and he was very humble, and, you know, the golden rule and all these things. But, you know, what, what they believed about him was that uh, he had come from the Father, that he was divine, that, um, and, and so this sets them apart from the people who just believe something interesting about his ideas or something like that. They believe something about who he is. Second of all, that they believe that he's been sent. Not that he's just this divine person walking around, but that there's a calling and a mission 
There's an urgency to his time, that, that he has come for a purpose and, and with a mission. And so they, they believe that, that Jesus, there's no beginning, there's no end, that he's the son of God, that he's been sent. And so, uh, and so Jesus sees this in the disciples and, and, uh, and, and he prays for them because of this, even though they didn't understand everything. How could they? He hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't raised from the dead yet. He hasn't ascended yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't come like it's, it's going to in Acts 2 yet. Uh, and so, so the belief that they have was, was maybe kind of on a thread. Maybe, maybe it was patchy. Maybe they didn't know everything. Not like us today, I guess, right? <laughs> who, who can look in, and know every, everything. And, and of, of course we can't. We're all looking into things that are infinitely deep. But Jesus sees belief. And this is a quote that really stuck out to me this week uh, from Riley. Um, and he's talking about the feeble faith of the disciples. He says, he honors the reality and sincerity of faith. Although it may be very small, believers make better appearances in heaven than they do upon the earth. Sometimes we see things on the earth and people just look weak and dumb and you know, ignorant or whatever it may be. And you know, maybe it's that in heaven, it just doesn't appear that way at all. And, you know, and that little bit of belief seemed to go a long way for uh, the disciples. And so they've been, they've been set apart. There's no going back. They, they are marked and they're never going to fit back into the world that, the way they did before. So he continues, I'm praying for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Somewhere along, I remember uh, reading something that kind of stood out to me this week that it's amazing to think that the disciples could bring glory to God, that Jesus would be glorified in them. And isn't that true of any of us? that we can praise him, we can bring honor to him, that we can lift up, that we become an image of, of him and, and his character can be seen in us, his, his giftings and, and fruit can be born you know, in, in us. Isn't it amazing that people just like us uh, can bring glory uh, to the Father? And so, uh, so they've been set apart from the world. And so as that, they're now in hostile territory in a sense uh, because uh, we know that in, and in the upper room he's talked about it that, that the world doesn't naturally just accept the things of God. There's, there's a little resistance and a hardness to it. There's a hatred to it and the world will hate them because they've hated Jesus. They're not going to fit like before and so he prays for two things um, and the first is, is this that they are kept um, that they are taken care of. And that just because Jesus was going to leave and he wasn't going to be with them in the room where they could see him and touch him and, and, and hear his voice and ask him questions and, and you know, watch him calm the, the seas and the wind, um, but that they would still be kept. And here's what he says. Uh, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. For I am coming to you Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Uh, the word uh, keep here is interesting. It, um, it, it sort of means to, to keep things in view 
or to sort of take a note of, of things. It, or it can mean like to watch over something, uh, sort of like maybe a shepherd might watch over his sheep. Uh, it, it's helping somebody to the end. And, and, and that's how Jesus is praying for them, that, that their faith and their, their belief, that their mission would be kept and it would be tended to. And this is something that I think is very encouraging that they were not on their own. They were not going out in their own power. They weren't going out in their own wisdom. They weren't going out with good luck. Uh, they were going out with the power of the Lord and, um, and, and he was watching over them. First of all, uh, he watches over their, their unity and he keeps them together. They were already united and uh, they were already together, but, but the Lord would uh, sustain that and he would keep them. He would keep them based in that truth and, and united in the truth. Uh, and so he protects their disunity uh, and they are shielded uh, by, by God's power. He continues to say, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. And I guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, I know in a verse like this, if you're like me, your eyes kind of go to one part of that verse right? Because there's one that's, that's a little not like the others. Uh, and it's, you know, that there's this one that's been lost, the son of destruction. And of course, this is Judas, right? Who's left? He's doing something else right now. And, um, and it, but, but there's really a lot more good than bad. And, and even the way God often does, he takes bad and works it into the good. And, and I'll show you, so he, he says, so I have kept them in your name. So Jesus has been looking after them. He has had them in his sight and even stronger that he's guarded them. And this was like a military term. It, it was like to defend. Uh, and this takes you back to like John 10 where, where, where he's the good shepherd and, uh, and, and no one's gonna snatch them. And, and he has kept all of them. Uh, and, and he's been doing this. Uh, and, and that they have not been uh, alone at all. Not one of them has been lost. And when Jesus keeps, when Jesus guards, not one of them will be lost. But there is another one, and that's the son of destruction. And without naming the name Judas, he tells us some interesting things about him. One, that he's called the son of destruction. There's something deep in his character where, where he didn't believe like the others. You know, you can know truth without believing it. You can, you can be aware of, of good theology without ever placing your faith in it. I think Judas is a very extreme example of that. And all of this has been in God's eye the whole time. This didn't take God by surprise so that the scripture might be fulfilled. All, right? all of this was foreseen. All of this was known. And even in the midst of something like this, like in that perfect unity, being shepherded by the son of God himself and, and somebody not believing the whole time, so somebody not quite like the others the whole time, ultimately betraying. God sees that and in the midst of something like that, guards and not one is lost. So when he keeps and when he guards, uh, uh, he finishes what he starts. I'm reminded of like Philippians 1, where Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. He doesn't stop halfway through. Nothing separates us from his love. 
Uh, and, and what we see in, in verse 12 is just the fact this, that, that, that God is sovereign. And when uh, we believe and, and, and when we are uh, in his fold, that he sees things through. <clears throat> and that sticks out. I don't know, some of you might feel like you're on your, your own today or something like that. I was remembering uh, there was a, a point in my life where I had a, a very monotonous job and I, I didn't really see a lot of meaning or value in it. And, uh, I, you know, and a lot of my friends were out, you know, on missions trips and doing cool things with their lives and getting married. And I was working this job that I, I did not like. And I, it was hard and it was a lot of hours and uh, I, didn't, I didn't really have friends there. And uh, it was just sort of like one of those spots in my life where it was like, man, what is going on? And where is God? And, and what is going on? And, and why, why am I here? And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's so good for us to, to have a verse like John 17, 12, because it reminds us that we're always in his keeping. We're always in his sight. Even, even when uh, circumstances go really bad or something, I mean, you, you get cancer or, or, you know, something happens to um, one, one of your kids. That is a horrible feeling when one of your kids is in danger and you don't know if they're going to be okay. You know, Lord, where are you? And, and you know, I mean, if you're like me, you have friends and you've seen people go through things and, and you wonder, you know, are they being kept? And the reassurance of Jesus in this prayer is yes, for good or for bad, you are being kept. For good or for bad, God sees what is going on in your life and he's going to finish what he started in you. And that's something that transcends the good, it transcends the bad. The disciples were going to the world. They were going in mission. It was going to be hard. And, and so uh, they were going to be guarded. They were going to be kept and looked after. That's really important. He continues, and he says, but now I'm coming to you, and these things that I speak in the world, that they may have my joy in themselves. So it reminds us that Jesus is praying, and they're listening. And he's saying these things for their benefit in part. And joy comes when you know that God is sovereign. Joy comes when you know that he is with you. Joy comes when you know that no matter high or low, mountain or valley, that God is with you. And he has his eye on you. And he sees you. And he's with you. That's the type of thing that brings a joy that transcends understanding. That's the type of thing that there's, there's great power in something like that when you know you're not alone. He continues and says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. One last thing here. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. His prayer isn't that they don't run into trouble. His prayer is not that they have an easy road and an easy ministry and, and nothing bad ever happens to them. We pray for protection that way. But as Jesus is praying for protection for the disciples, he has their soul and their heart in mind. He knows that God's gonna take care of their needs. Uh, he knows that God's gonna supply for them. He knows they don't have to worry. Uh, but that the Father would, uh, that he would keep them, and specifically from the evil one. Because there's an enemy. There is someone who hates the kingdom of God and is always trying to undo what the Lord is doing. And uh, you know, I remember I read this week, it was really good that, um, you know, what the devil does is he just resists. He hates the work of God. He hates the truth of God. And, and so he just drags his feet and he will undo whatever he can. So Father, keep them and protect them. Protect them from his temptation 
Protect them from, from those schemes of the world that are just dead ends. Keep them, watch over them, take care of them. And so, uh, so they're called out from the world and part of that is that they're going to be kept, um, he prays. And um, here's the last one today, um, actually that they're going to be sent into the world. And that's what's interesting, that they're in the world, but they're not to be of the world. In fact, I think as believers, uh, that it's such a good reminder that we're sent to the world. Um, Kuink says uh, this, it was a good quote that stuck out, that the, the church is neither to withdraw from the world nor partake in it. The church is the spirit-filled dwelling of God. And I think it's really great again uh, that we're, we're not to partake in, in the world and its systems and conform to the world, and yet we're not to build these big, huge bricks and these big, huge boundaries that keep us away from the world. Um, and instead, what we find is that we're sent to the world. And it's kind of what comes out here that they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world, but he prays, sanctify them in the truth. And that your word is truth as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So they have a mission and their mission is just like Jesus' mission in that they were a light in the darkness. They were the salt of the planet and the world needed them. And Jesus sends uh, the disciples. He says, for they, uh, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. We'll spend the rest of our time on this verse today um, that, uh, that it's for their sake, Jesus has consecrated himself. Uh, consecrate is an uh, interesting word. Uh, it's the same word as sanctified, actually. And uh, what it means is to take something and to set it apart so it's not common anymore, but now it's holy and it's set apart and it's to be used for worship. It's to be used for glorifying God. And so you see this like all over the Old Testament, you know, uh, uh, sometimes people were set apart, like the priests, um, prophets, uh, but sometimes things were set apart, like things in the tabernacle. Uh, they, they weren't common things anymore. They were things that were set apart. And, and God has always kind of done that where he has set his people apart. They are his people. They're to be used for his purposes. They're, they're not like all people. They're they're consecrated, they're, they're set apart, and Jesus does this in a, a couple unique ways. One, he doesn't need purified, uh, and he doesn't need cleansed like, uh, you know, like a, a priest or somebody would like that in the Old Testament. He's already holy. He's the son of God. But you're also being commissioned, and, and you're also being to, to be a, a tool used to, for the worship of God. And Jesus' mission in the earth is not over. In fact, the apex of it was to come. Uh, Jesus was going to die on the cross of Calvary and his blood was going to have in it the forgiveness of the world. And, and Jesus has this in view. And Jesus is consecrating himself to the will of God and he's getting ready to finish his work on the earth, uh, which is to die as a sacrifice for those disciples, for you and me today, and, and it's for their sake. It's for their sake that he sets himself aside to the will of God, that he sets himself aside to the plan of God, which is uh, the redemption um, of his people, that they 
also may be sanctified. So again, this is the same word, that they will be set apart, that they will be used, that they will know the Father personally. Sanctified is interesting uh, because because it's, it's sort of this whole idea that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And this is uh, very much how you and I are today too. Uh, Peter says it this way, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. It reminds me of a song from the 2000s, and you know what I'm talking about if you do. Uh, Or, uh, you know, but but look, there's the two things here. Like, there's the setting apart, there's the the chosen race, the royal priesthood, and and Peter says that's us. That's the New Testament church. That's you and me. That's a gateway. Uh, A holy nation, a people for his own possession. But here's the task, the job. Here's what we're doing to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And, and praise God for that. Uh, praise God that we're not who we were and we've been set apart and that work of sanctification is done. In fact, that is really interesting. I think uh, Hebrews 9 and 10 kind of fills this out, but sanctifying is both something that has been done, like the work of it has been done on the cross, um, but it's also something that continues to happen over the course of our life, where that old heart is kind of ineffective, and it's our new heart, and we're growing and we're changing each and every day. Uh, So he says uh, in, in Hebrews, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So that work is done. Jesus has died on the cross. His blood has spilled. He was a once and for all time sacrifice. And he doesn't just keep going back to the cross to die for our sins each time. He doesn't need to purify him, himself or anything like that. But that gift has been given. That debt has been paid. That work is finished. But for all time, those who are being sanctified. That's sort of more of a present word. It's something that is happening. And so on the the one hand, we already have an inheritance. He's going to keep us. He's going to see us through to the end. But on the other side of this, that work of conforming to his image and looking more and more like him each and every day is a process. And what I love about something like sanctification is it just reminds us that all of us are growing. There's a lot of different parts to sanctification as you look at different places in scripture, but as you just talk about it theologically too, there's a sending aspect to it. Uh, the, the apostles here are being sanctified for their mission. But other people kind of note that there's a healing aspect to it. There's a cleansing and a purifying aspect to this too. God's redemptive work is not complete until all who come to him become like him, Mount Stripes. And, and that is just such a, a, a cool thing to me that, that he is working in us and he's changing us from being the old people we were before we believed and we knew him to being the new people we are in his image. 
Uh, so, like Paul says, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. You see what I mean? <laughs> that, uh, that this prayer is just kind of intricately deep. It just keeps going down. I've been lost in this uh, this month, and we're scratching the surface, and it's time to conclude. <laughs> what does it mean to be sanctified this week and set apart this week, like the disciples, to be in the world but not of the world, um, and to be his own special possession with this, with this calling, uh, this sacred calling. And, and, and I think as we look at this passage, as we look at these verses, there's a few things that, uh, that come to us. No, number one is that you've been set apart. This is just something that is true. Like the disciples, you'll never really fit into the world. Once you've placed your belief in Jesus and you've trusted in his work, and, um, and, and that, that's who you are. You've, you, you are a child of God. You're never gonna fit again. And the more you try to fit and find your home on this world and you live for your house and your cars and your status here in the world and to have a lot of friends and Instagram followers or whatever it is, the, the more there's gonna be this divide in your heart. You'll just feel confused and frustrated and unfulfilled um, because uh, that is not the way your heart is being changed. Uh, but rather, uh, we should let the Lord set us apart. We should stand out in the world as a light, as salt. Scripture is filled with that kind of language. Theo and I play this game, and we have for years. Uh, he's been in this phase where he really likes camo, uh, like to wear camouflage. And uh, he has all sorts of different camo, because I really like camo too. Sometimes he comes out of his room and he's wearing like blue camo pants and, uh, and a green camo shirt. And he even has like, I mean, he's got camo everything, right? And I think it's cool, but we also have this game where if he's wearing camo, I can't see him, right? So he comes out of his room. We're like all celebrating uh, Christmas finally with Anna's family this weekend. And he comes out and he's like in camo and he kind of looks at me, right? And so I, I have to let him know, right, that I can't see him. So I, I see him out of the corner of my walk into the room and I'm like, oh, <laughs> did someone just walk into the room? Theo, where are you? You know, and then he starts like hiding around. So if you ever see Theo walking around here and he's wearing a camo shirt, feel free. Just be like, Theo, is somebody here? And, and he's really into it. I don't know. I think in like six months, he's going to grow out of that. But you know, so often that's kind of us. I feel like believers can be people dressed in camo and we go around trying to blend in and having the same values in the same world. But we've been wildly set apart as God's possession. We know Jesus and we know the Father. We know what it's like to have a shepherd. We have eternal life to look forward to. There is almost nothing we have in common uh, with the world in terms of what's in our heart and what's happening to us each and every day. And rather than being separate from the world or judging the world, we're really called to go and be part of God's plan of redemption. And so, uh, but, but it's good to have peace with not fitting in. I'm a pro at that for a lot of reasons too. <laughs> I'm not very good at uh, okay. Uh, wah, wah. All right. Uh, you. <laughs> uh, here's another one: is that you're being kept too. That uh, that he's watching you. He sees you. He's with you. Uh, you are not alone. And there is just a profound sense of joy that comes with that. But also, there's a lot of security that comes with that too. Some of you are here today, and I know. I know you are in dark times. I know you're in discouraging times. And it is sometimes so good to go back to the truth, right? to go back to the word and to remember who you are, to remember who you belong to, to remember his power and his foresight and his sovereignty and to know 
you're right in the middle of where you need to be right now. And, and, and so we can trust him in that. And we can, and we should submit to him in that. Uh, we used to have this dog named Sadie. She was a great Dane. I know some of you got to meet her. And she was just like any other normal dog, except she was huge. She was really big. Her, you know, normally when a dog looks at you and is like checking you out, you know, their head is down here. But she was like the runt of her litter and she just kept growing. And her head was like up here, right? And, and she also, she was just like kind of a mm, big dog. And she had... <laughs> She, she wasn't horribly bright. And so she, a lot of times, was just trying to figure things out. And, uh, and when people would come over, she would look at them and she would really study them. But because she weighed a ton and was huge, it was very intimidating when she was studying you. She kind of turn her head and her ears would kind of go up. And I saw a lot of people grow uncomfortable with that type of thing uh, over the 11 years that she was with us. Um, but man, I tell you what, one clap of thunder and that dog n- did not know how big she was. And she hated thunder so much that if a car was driving down the street and it went, you know, she thought it was probably thunder. And wherever she was in the house, and this was bad because we lived on a really busy street for a while, whenever there was any exhaust, any clap, anything that remotely sounded like thunder, that dog, wherever she was in the house, would calmly get up, walk across the room, and she would find Anna, who was usually, you know, in, in her chair or in, on the couch, you know, and Sadie would crawl up on that couch and she would sit in Anna's lap. And my wife is a small person, and so, uh, but Sadie didn't know that. She had no idea how big she was, and that dog looked foolish, man. That dog just looked hilarious. We were at a Starbucks one time, and uh, she heard something resembling thunder, and so she tried to hide under one of the tables, but she was bigger than all of the tables. There's nothing more ridiculous than the Great Dane hiding and cowering under a table, a a small table. Uh, You know, she had no idea how big she was, and there's one thing that will rob your joy. There is one thing that will completely derail your mind, and that is fear. Fear just absolutely ruins people. And Jesus, I think, is praying for his disciples. And and I think part of what he's reminding them in this prayer is that the Father was with them. He was going to be with them. They had nothing to worry about. They were right where they should be. And sometimes all of us just need to lean a little bit more towards joy than we do to fear. It is so easy to be anxious about things, but the truth of scripture is this, that he is your shepherd and he is watching you and he sees you and he is protecting you and he is with you. And there is deep joy to be had in that. Here's the third thing is that God is equipping you, that he has called you into ministry. You are that chosen race. You are that royal priesthood. You You don't blend in anymore and that God is equipping you each and every day. He's sanctifying you in truth. And I think we find more and more equipping. I think we get better and better at what he's giving us as we look into the truth and as we look into the word. Sometimes you look at the word for a long time and at the the world out there and, and then you look into scriptures and you see things that don't line up. Sometimes you look into the scriptures and you see things in your heart that shouldn't be there and maybe it makes you say you're sorry to 
to people or maybe it makes you try a little harder to have patience with people, but God is equipping you. We see, uh, you know, that the Spirit, He's always, He's gifting us and, and that looks, and He's growing fruit in us. That looks like joy, it looks like love, it looks like patience and He develops those things in us. But you know what helps those things grow is the truth and the truth that is in the Word of God. And so the more we're looking into that, I know there's so many people excited about read-throughs and stuff this year, but the truth is, uh, the more we look into that, uh, the more all in all, uh, more and more uh, that our skill sets, um, our, our spirit-given gifts are just refined and they're sharpened. They are, you know, and we are just retooled all the time for the work that God is calling us into. Here's one last thing today, and it's just this, that God is growing you. Uh, he is gonna see you through. He has your heart, and um, the, the more we go along with him and the more we trust him and the more we stay together uh, with, with the other believers and we stay connected uh, to, to the Lord, um, the more each and every day he is changing us and with that new heart that comes with belief and we look less and less like the person and we look more and more like the person he is sanctifying each and every day and so uh, that's sort of some encouragement that I think comes out of Jesus's prayer for his disciples uh, today we also get to celebrate together in a very cool way a very appropriate way especially as we talk about how Jesus consecrated himself for us it's a communion Sunday at Gateway and I think see the guys going back to um, gather the uh, the bread and the cup, and um, you know, switching gears, I think this is really appropriate uh, to take some time today to set it aside, if you will, um, and to celebrate communion. Um, if you have placed your faith in Christ, uh, you're invi- invited to celebrate this with us. Um, and of course, we remember the, the work that Jesus has done on the cross for us. And yeah, you guys can go ahead and uh, distribute that. And, um, you know, as they are, you know, it's interesting. We often go to First Corinthians to sort of read the scripture um, that, that we used to do communion. But it's interesting because Paul in First Corinthians, um, he's kind of doing some housekeeping too. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was going on in the church is that there was uh, disunity uh, because the, something like the Lord's Supper and celebrating the cross, it had become really commonplace. Uh, it was something that was supposed to be really, really good and really, really meaningful, but it had become something that was just very, very common. And so um, things were happening, like there were divisions among people. Some people were overindulging in it. There was a meal kind of attached to it. And poor people, they were having a worse experience than rich people. People were being selfish and there was unity being broken over it. But it was to be memorable and it, it was to be a time set aside for the Lord, but it had just become common. And so, um, so Paul says that, that everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and they drink the cup. You know, it's so true. Just years of being a pastor's kid myself and, uh, you know, being in ministry that, um, you know, there's just such thing as a Sunday that feels like other Sundays. Uh, and there's just days that feel like other days. And sometimes it's so good to just step back and remember the miracle it is that we are here this morning. The miracle it is that, that Jesus came for us. The miracle it is that, that his perfect life, his unblemished body bled and died as a sacrifice for us. 
That is something that I don't believe we should ever get too used to. And so uh, this is something for us that we sort of uh, set aside and, and we take some, some time. And we take some time to examine our lives because sometimes uh, our lives don't, per, uh, don't perfectly match up with um, the life that I think he really has for us. And I wanted to invite you, uh, even just right now, um, even though we kind of had some time to do this this morning in our worship set too, but I wanted to invite you just to take a moment and just to sit with the Lord. And maybe as you're listening thousands of years later to this prayer and you're hearing this, this truth about his sovereignty, about his shepherding, about his love and his work, the high price that you've been paid with. Maybe you're thinking about that you're, you're being sanctified and you've been set apart for for his purposes. Maybe there's something in in your life and you're realizing you need to set it aside a little bit, that there's a job for you in in some of this. I've got some already, thank you. Um, But I wanted to give you guys just about 30 seconds or so just to sit before the Lord and then I'll lead us in communion uh, when, when we sit for a second. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, After the supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And he says, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, I'm going to close us in prayer, and as I do, the band is going to come up. We'll have a chance to sing today um, and respond to the Lord. But why don't you join me in prayer? Um, Lord, you are so wonderful. We're so thankful for the life that you've called us into, um, a new heart, a new identity, being your own children. And Father, uh, I pray this week for all of us here that we would remember your presence in our life, your leading in our life. And Lord, that you would help us to shine bright in the world around us. That other people might experience your love and your forgiveness, your kindness through us.
And Father, I pray for those of us in this room who, who are hurting today, who are in hard circumstances today, that uh, you would just give us your reminder that you're with us. You are always with us. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your life that was given for us and for so many things, Lord. And today I just pray that you would um, keep these words in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, that this week um, we would shine bright for you. And, and even now as we worship you, Lord, that you would just be glorified in us. And in your name I pray, amen. Hey, we're going to sing, and as we do, we want to ask the prayer team to come up. This is something new we've been doing. Maybe you're here tonight, and uh, there's something you need to consecrate in your life, or there's uh, something that the Lord is saying to you. I want to encourage you to come up and pray with somebody up here. You can do it during the song, or you can do it as we close our time together, but um, I do want to invite you and, and give you that invitation that if, if you'd like to pray with somebody, there are people who would love to pray with you today.